Hello, and welcome to What's Killing My Kale. This podcast is a production of the University of Minnesota Extension, hosted by Extension educators Annie Claude and Natalie Hoytel. In each episode, we interview a farmer, researcher, or educator about a timely topic around growing fruit and vegetable crops in Minnesota. Usually we talk about pests, but sometimes we venture into other important issues of the moment. Hi everyone, this is Natalie. You're listening to What's Killing My Kale. It's early September, so people are busy harvesting. And we are doing a podcast, two-part podcast, dedicated to an emerging pest um, called Swede Midge. So this is not an insect that we are really seeing yet in farm fields in Minnesota. We're seeing it in community gardens in the Twin Cities. But it's something that we think should be on people's radars um, in the years to come, something that you should be thinking about and potentially planning for, at least in terms of monitoring for it next year. And so we just wanted to do kind of an update on what we know right now about sweet midge. And unfortunately, this is a fairly new pest in most of this continent. And so there's not a lot of great information about managing it right now, especially for organic systems. But we're developing some of that information. We have colleagues at other universities who are doing a lot of research on sweet midge. And so don't despair when you hear in this podcast that kind of the solutions that we're recommending are just starting to be found out. We don't have a lot of data on these things, um, but we'll give you kind of a, a taste of what's out there, what's being studied, and we're going to continue to do updates on this insect pest um, as we learn more over the years. And so our first portion is an interview with Angie Amborn, who works for the Department of Agriculture. She's going to be talking about the monitoring that they've been doing in Minnesota. And in our second part, we're going to talk with Yolanda Chen, who is a researcher at the University of Vermont, who's done a lot more work with management, um, and in particular in organic systems. So to get started, um, we'll talk to Angie. So Angie, can you introduce yourself and talk a little bit about um, some of the work that you do and the work that your team does in monitoring different insects and diseases in Minnesota? Sure. Um, so um, my name is Angie Amborn, and I am the, I'm an entomologist uh, by training. I'm a University of Minnesota alumni, um, and I'm the currently the supervisor of the Pest Detection and Export Certification Unit here um, in the Plant Protection Division of the Minnesota Department of Agriculture. Um, and my unit um, is in charge of um, surveying and monitoring for um, invasive plant pests, so insects and diseases. Um, Swede midge was one that was has we've known about for a while. Um, it's present in the mid-Atlantic states um, where it's causing um, a fair amount of damage to brassica crops. So Swede midge is um, a fly. It's in the in that uh, genus or order of flies, and it's um, in the midge group. And so midges are very tiny. <laughs> they're hard to see. Um, they're hard to identify, um, but. It, it can be a devastating insect to um, brassica crops. Uh, we um, have been monitoring for this insect since, I believe, 2014. So we have um, a couple surveys um, that one was um, 
funded by the Farm Bill, which is now the Plant Protection Act, um, and also uh, through the USDA through their Specialty Crop Block Grant. And one of the surveys that we work on is called um, a Pathways Survey. So it's uh, agricultural pathways with the um, thought that some community community gardens are a place where we get a lot of different people, a lot of different plants, a lot of different cultures of people coming and going, and that it can kind of be a sink for um, the introduction for insects and, and diseases and weeds for that matter um, from all over the place. And so we focused on that. And why 2014? Was there something that happened? Like, were you starting to see damage from it or... Did it just come on your radar because it was a problem in other states? No, 24, we have been, we've had this pathways survey for quite a few years now. Mm-hmm. Um, and kind of how we decide what we're gonna work on is we kind of look at what's happening in our neighboring states and right. what's happening across the country. And so that, and then, so USDA has some priority pests that we have to work on. And then we also get to choose some state priorities. And we were kind of looking at you know, what's out in the mid-Atlantic and what's in Michigan and Wisconsin and Illinois. Um, and we, we knew that Swedemidge was as close as Michigan when we found it. And so we just kind of started looking pretty closely for it. And in 2014 was the year um, that we suspected we found it. Um, we had a hard time getting it officially identified because it is, you know, a midge and they're hard to identify. Um, I suspected we had it. And then I worked with a midge expert at the in Maryland at the Systematic Entomology Lab, and they were able to confirm it for us. Okay. So you mentioned um, before we started recording that basically you can have Swede midge for a couple of years before you start to see damage, but then all of a sudden you really start to see damage. I think that's probably accurate. I mean, it might even be just a year, because I think back when we first found it, um, we found just a few midges on the sticky cards. The way that we monitor for it is we use a pheromone trap. It's a little um, a little delta trap that's in the shape of a triangle, has a sticky card in it, and a pheromone bait to attract um, in- insects um, of that, of specifically the Swede midge. And we thought we had a few on the cards, and then it turns out we did. And then that following year, um, the cards were completely full and we also started noticing plant damage in that following year in the gardens that we found it in. Can you talk about the plant damage a little bit? I guess, is this something growers should be really concerned about? Is it enough damage that it would be compromising in terms of actually being able to sell a crop that has damage? Yeah, it is. Um, If you look at some of the statistics from out east, they've had more than 50% loss in some of their brassica crops, um, which if that's your, you know, if that's your livelihood, that's that's a fair bit. Um, so the damage is pretty conspicuous. Um, it's hard to see it when the plants are little. However, as the plants grow and expand, the 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 symptoms really become apparent. So what happens is is the midge, as the larval stage, is feeding in the growing point of, of brassica plants. And then it, it causes a scarring that where the insect larvae is feeding. And then what happens is it causes the, the actual 
plant to be deformed. Um, and so then you get this curling. It's pretty noticeable on kale. It's pretty noticeable on broccoli where you actually, the leaves just look twisted and gnarled as they're, it looks like they're not unfolding correctly, mm -hmm. um, but they're just really kind of gnarled up and, and twisted. Um, and one larvae can cause, if you're growing a head of broccoli or a head of cauliflower, one larvae can cause the abort, you know, the head to abort. Mm -hmm. um, it can also cause some really interesting looking, we've seen kohlrabis that were like three of them kind of mushed together that mm -hmm. were, you know, it, it was, it looked like it had been, you know, almost aborted, but then it grew out of the side and then huh. another one grew out of the side. So it can also cause multiple heads. Right. Um, so kind of cool in a home garden, but if right. you're trying to sell it, not ideal. Right. Not marketable at a farmer's right. market. Right. Okay. Um, and so since you first saw it, um, in 2014 or 2015, how have you seen it spread across the state? So our first few gardens, um, the good news is, is that it's pretty confined um, in in the metro area right now. It's almost it's almost solely confined into the city of St. Paul and the gardens around um, St. Paul. We do have one garden up near Blaine that is a positive, but all the rest of them are um, in in the St. Paul area. And what we're seeing is every year we're adding more and more gardens. We thought okay. maybe we could find, you know, like the epicenter of, right. but what happened was we had a bunch of gardens that were all at the same level at the same time. Okay. So we know it's in that area. We do have traps out statewide up in Duluth, out in Alexandria, Mankato, Rochester, down in the southeast, and then a lot of community gardens across, um, you know, the six county metro area. But it's right now it's pretty confined, mm -hmm. as we know, in St. Paul. We haven't, that being said, we haven't been through our 2019 traps yet. So I, you know, I don't know what this year will bring. Yeah. And when does that data come out? Um, well, so we will all of our traps will be pulled in by the end of September, and then it'll take, you know, that uh, Marissa Streifel, our other entomologist, and I probably, probably through Thanksgiving to get through all of the traps. It's a, okay. it's a lot of traps. I mean, yep. over the course of the season, it's probably five or six hundred sticky cards to go through. Right. So you're not entering data. You're actually going through it. Yeah, we are insects. screening them. Yeah. yeah. Right. Okay. And then it takes a little bit more time, especially in on the cards. Like if we look at a card and it's full of, you know, sweet midge is pretty obvious now and we move yeah. on. But on some of the other cards, areas where we don't know it, we have to spend a, lot, a fair bit more time, you yeah. know, going through the card with right. a with a pretty high powered scope in order to find it. Okay. Um, so yeah, we can share that data in our newsletter once yeah, you find right. it. Yeah, right. We sure can. Do you have other places where you post that information? So um, we on our website, we will probably have an update. We're working on um, one of those storyboard for our okay. surveys. So yeah. I'm hoping that we'll have that up this winter. Uh, also, all of the gardens that participate in our surveys, we send them out a, mm -hmm. a summary. And, and, and even when we find something, we notify them as soon as possible if you know, with our traps, with the insect traps, sometimes there's a delay, but with like the diseases, we notify them as soon as the results come in from the labs. Yeah. So they're all aware of what's going on in their gardens. Okay. Sounds good. Um, so that's, I'm curious if you can talk a little bit more about that dynamic of why you think we start to see insect or disease issues in community gardens versus on farms. Um, and if, I guess if you have any other examples of 
either insects or diseases or weeds that have kind of started in community gardens and how they've spread and kind of what that pattern has looked like? So Swede midge is the obvious one that jumps into my mind, but there's also the disease that is in tomatoes, the Clavobacter michiganensis, michiganensis. There's that one um, that is also, we first found in community gardens and has been spreading through community gardens. So if you think about community gardens, um, it's typically a volunteer that's running a a large group of people. Um, Everybody gets their own plot. Um, There's really no, in, in a lot of them, from what we know, there's no regulation on what you can plant, you know, when you can plant it. Um, it's hard, mm-hmm. you know, when you have one person being a volunteer and they're, and they're, they're trying to organize the entire right. garden. Um, we have a lot of um, different people from different backgrounds, different cultures, different types of plants, mm-hmm. um, plants that aren't even necessarily native um, to Minnesota. Um, it's a it's just a you know it's a conglomeration of a lot of different plants types different soils different um you know people coming and going um and so it's kind of a a a sink so we we kind of think for um disease invasive diseases and um and insects and even weeds and you think about um it's not like a large um you know operation where they probably spend a little bit more time on things like sanitation mm-hmm. and um, treatment. There's right. you know, there's usually no insecticides or fungicides or anything in these community gardens and people are just coming and going with their shoes yeah. and I mean it's just there's just a little bit less right regular Very different yeah. dynamic. Yeah different dynamic for sure. Okay um, so in terms of like growers kind of preparing for this or thinking about like should we be monitoring should we be treating it sounds like these insects are so hard to see that you need or they're so small that you need a really really specialized microscope and so would you say the best bet is to just kind of keep following your your trapping data in terms of understanding where it's spreading so i think you know if you have if you have a large commercial brassica crop it's probably you know it's probably worth investing in some of that monitoring the baits are a little expensive they're 11 dollars a piece and they're good for a month um that being said you you got to have someone who knows how to identify them um so if a grower could invest in pheromone traps but didn't have a really really high powered microscope is there a place they could send those cards to for identification well, <laughs> I mean, I can identify them, but you know that, that's going to be asking for a whole can of worms of yeah. sticky traps coming my way. <laughs> um, but I mean, that being said, we you know we help people identify emerald ash borer. Mm-hmm. So it's in, you know people can call us. People submit pictures to us, okay. um, you know, for things like viburnum leaf beetle or Asian longhorn beetle if they think they have. So we right. you know our arrest the pest line we do offer that help to people. Um, so maybe a better question is, if someone can identify that they have midges on their pheromone traps, how likely is it that it's going to be a different midge versus sweet midge? It's pretty likely. Okay. The midge group is very large. And we have a lot of midges in Minnesota. Yes, we do. And they're, the the nuances between the different midges is fairly small. Okay. There's a lot of midges that look very similar to Swede midge, and the way that you one of the ways you identify them is you look at the the antenna, which are 
very hard to see on a midge. You think a midge is small to begin with, and then you have to look at their antenna or the wing venation. Um, and so that that is a little bit tricky. Okay. Um, you know, there is, we have access to some of the, you know, taxonomists across the country, but um, typically, you know, to send, it wouldn't be worth it for someone to try to send a card into, mm-hmm. you know, the systematic entomology lab. It would take you know, it would take a long time for them to get their results back. Okay. They're more likely what's going to happen is that people are going to start to see plant damage mm-hmm. and then they're not going to know why their breasts because they're all gnarled or their heads are aborting. Um, and then we'll get a call and we'll come out and look. And that actually has happened a few times this year in 2019 in gardens where we weren't monitoring. We had yeah. people mm-hmm. call in and say, I think we have Swede midge. And we went out and took a look, and it, the damage is pretty conspicuous, like I said. So we were able to say, yeah, you have sweet midge. Okay. Um, so one thing we talked a little bit about before we start recording is just this idea that basically should growers just expect that they might have this insect in a couple of years and start to manage in such a way that kind of assuming that it's coming? Or would you not say that so concretely? Well, I guess I wouldn't say that so concretely. Okay. I mean, we know it's fairly confined right now. I suspect eventually it will be everywhere, sort of like spotted wind drosophila, everywhere you're growing brassicas, you're probably going to have sweet midge. Um, there, you know, there's a lot of good information for management online, um, especially out of uh, you know University of Vermont, um, the University of Guelph, and then Cornell. Mm-hmm. Um, th- so there are a lot of things, you know, it's probably going to take a real integrated pest management approach to, to deal with it. Um, just because the, the, the pupae can stay in the soil for almost up to three years. So, I mean, even if you, you know, plant and then rotate or get, you know, stop planting brassicas, you know, to, for a community garden, that seems like an impossible ask. And how you regulate that and how, you know, you can ask people, hey, don't, please don't plant brassicas. We have Swede midge. But then, you know, if people follow that or not. Right. That's still the, got the weed. Hose. Right. Right. And there are a lot of, what I learned in all of this is there's a lot of brassica weed um, species that are secondary hosts. So if there's weeds all along the edges, um, that's also just a, a refugia for them. Yeah. All right. Um, so I think... We'll do the second half of the episode with an entomologist. Um, you're also an entomologist, but someone <laughs> who's, entomologist. who's working more with the management of Swede Midge. Um, so is there anything, any kind of final thoughts you want to share about what we're seeing in Minnesota? Or um, I, I guess what we would like is, you know, people to, to keep reporting it to us. Yeah. Um, and we have um, the Arrest the Pest hotline where people can call in um, directly and leave a message. And um, myself or our other entomologist, Marissa Strifel, will get back to you. Also, you can email us. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we're, we're more than happy to help because one of, one of the, you know, if we know where it is, and that, that's kind of one of our jobs is knowing where these pests are, mm-hmm. then we can work with extension we can work with the researchers mm-hmm. um, in collaboration we can find it give them that information and that helps them you know decide you know where it's prioritize right prioritizing and yeah. then you know then we kind of leave it in their ball yeah. court for um, coming up with these management options and then you know we're we get help 
get that message out. Mm-hmm. So it's a, it's a really good collaboration that we have mm-hmm. um, with the University of Minnesota. Um, we've been really lucky to mm-hmm. be able to work side by side on a lot of these species, uh, these invasive species. Yeah. All right. Thanks. Yeah, thank you. Thank you all for listening. Uh, make sure to tune into the second part of this episode with Dr. Yolanda Chen, where we're going to be diving more into the management and some of the research that's going on related to management of sweet mint. Thanks for listening.